We continue our walk through the book of John. Last week, we looked at the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine. And now today, we get to Jesus cleansing the temple. That'll be in Luke, excuse me, not Luke, but John chapter 2. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you just anoint the reading of your word. We've already experienced you through song and prayer and giving. Now it's an opportunity for us to dive into what you have for us and your scriptures, Lord. Thank you so much for this time together. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I wouldn't say any of us in here have everything we want. Do you? Do you have everything you want? Of course, there are a lot of people in here, including myself, that are content and grateful for what we have, but... But you wouldn't argue if somebody were to come give you a little more of something, whether it may be a money, it may be a thing, it may be a relationship, whatever it may be. Uh, none of us have everything we want, I don't think. But I will say that things are a lot easier on us these days. Uh, we live a life of convenience. Many of you that are sitting in here this morning in these pews can remember a time where there were no superstores and supermarts. You can remember a time when uh, there were no grocery stores. You raised the food that you would eat. You clo- the clothes that you wore on your back were clothes that someone had made for you. And playtime consisted of doing the chores around the house or the farm. You remember those days? I, I can't imagine what it was like for you to finally realize, you mean we can go to the store and buy food? Probably many people said, well, we didn't do that anyway because we didn't have the money for it. But isn't it amazing how nowadays, if the grocery store is not open 24 hours a day, we struggle. If if we don't have the convenience of something right at our hand. But it's because of the hard work that this generation did. that They grew and they wanted to have a better life for their children. A better life for their grandchildren. So they did whatever they could to provide, but also all of us seek or sought ways to look for more convenience. I mean, think about it. For us who live life in the good old U.S. of A. today, we have access to many conveniences. I don't know if you knew this, but you no longer have to dress up to go out to eat. They have something called a drive through window. Amen. You can even put on your pajamas, get in your car, drive through, and pray you don't have a wreck. Amen. And then again, sometimes when you go into Walmart or fast food restaurants, some people just decide to go in in their pajamas anyway. It's amazing what you can see when you go into places like uh, superstores and, and restaurants. But yeah, the convenience of the drive through I don't know exactly when that was invented, but uh, I, I guess it was kind of a a new version of the drive-ins that you used to go to, where they would come out to your car and put the plate on your window. Man, that that must have been some good times. And But it was convenient, right? You just drive up, they give you your food, and now you can drive through. But, But we've taken it one step further now. Did you know that there's literally places, especially in Las Vegas, where you can have a drive through wedding? You don't even have to get out of your car. All you got to do is pull up to the drive through pay them the money. The priest will bless you or, or whoever is officiating that. They'll take your picture in your car, and then you're married. Isn't that amazing? 
And well, the church is not going to be left out either because there are churches that are doing drive-through communions. You know, we, we do the Lord's Supper the fifth Sunday of, of, every, of every month when there's a fifth Sunday. And so we, we have the, the crackers and we have the grape juice and we, uh, it's a holy time of remembering what the Lord did in the Lord's Supper. But you can just do that in your car. You can drive through. Isn't that convenient? And then, we don't want to stop there. Funeral homes have drive-through visitation. Now, I've never been to one, but that would be kind of awkward to see your loved one propped up at the window, honk if you loved them, and move on. So, you can go to church, you can eat, you can observe communion, and you can go to a funeral, all from the comfort of your vehicle. And, of course, you know, it's not just that. Convenience is the mantra of our country. The reason we are driven by technology. We want so much convenience that we're okay with our car driving itself. We are okay with all of these conveniences that we have. And we even have stores. You know what they're called? Convenience stores. And that's where they have a little bit of everything you need, but not quite exactly what you need. And it's three times more expensive than if you were to go to the store. But why? Because they charge you because it is convenient. But these days, too, you know, I got to say, I love this. You can go shopping in your pajamas in your home. All you got to do is get on your computer or your phone or your whatever you have, and you can... Call in, you can do whatever you need to do, but they will bring it right to your door. Man, that's convenient during Christmas. You don't have to get out and, and, and all those, it's like that time I remember, I wish I could have bought vanilla extract during one Thanksgiving, where that, you know, you, you have Thanksgiving and, and the person preparing food has everything except that one item. And unfortunately, I think I've told you the story, but, but one Thanksgiving, Donna said, oh no, I'm out of vanilla extract. Go to Walmart. On the day before Thanksgiving, no, actually the day of Thanksgiving, looking for vanilla extract. There was a sweet old lady that about clocked me and put me on the floor for that last bit of vanilla extract. But boy, wasn't it convenient to be able to go out on a day like Thanksgiving and be able to get those things. But now, nowadays, you can watch church online. You can watch it on your TV. You can watch it on your computer. You can even tithe, tithe to the church. Give your tithe through... A phone app, you can tell your bank to just draft it. You can, it's very convenient. And the thing is, is that we have all these conveniences. People can be at church, they can see church with, without ever literally being inside the church because we try to make it very convenient. You can hear the gospel, but do you ever really experience life from behind a computer? Do you ever really experience life from your driver's seat or your passenger seat? Is it enough to do the things you need to do, but yet experience the benefits of being in worship? You here today, i got to commend you. You are experiencing the benefit that others that are not at church are experiencing. What is that? Believe it or not, the ability to be around other people that have it just messed up as you do. But yeah, we all look good, and we try to put on our best face, but all of us are in the same boat. We're trying to figure out life, we're trying to love God, and we're trying to please Him. And I know that there are people that even listen to this sermon that, that I'll be putting on the Internet that, that they, can't, they literally cannot go to church. 
And they are still an active part of church as they pray and they seek to be involved ways that they can. But there are a vast number of people that have just decided, eh, I'm not going to go today. But I want you to know that, that by you coming here today, going through the, the, the agonies of getting a family ready, especially if you have children or grandchildren or, or you, if you have aches and pains and, and itises and, and onyx and all these different things that, that these, these different things that are going around, you're here today. Praise God. And I pray that God blesses you for that because we go to great lengths to make things in our lives more convenient. But by doing that, are we missing out on something? Jesus showed us plainly in the scriptures of what he thinks about people that see worship as needing to be convenient. We see that he disapproves of convenient worship. I'm not talking about here today the styles of worship, whether you do hymns or choruses, or whether you have uh, a suit and tie or a plaid shirt and jeans, or you have a pulpit, no pulpit, you have black carpet, white carpet, no carpet, cement, whatever. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the setting, but I'm just talking about the convenience of worship here today. Jesus is not too impressed with our desire for convenience. And it means that we need to take an honest evaluation of our hearts. Do we see our worship as a convenient part of our life or something that consumes our life? You know what I'm saying? You know, Sunday is church day. Monday is my day. Tuesday is my day. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, my day. But Sunday will be God's day. It doesn't work like that. Every day is God's day. Every day is an opportunity for us to, us to worship Him, whether it be through our personal Bible study, whether it be through keeping focused on Him throughout the day, however it may be. But does worship need to be a priority? I would say for you that are here today, you believe that because, hey, you're here. But let's see what Jesus thinks about it. As we look in John, we're going to pick up in verse 13. Verse 13 says, The Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. One verse. The Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The thing that is significant about this is that if you remember your, your uh, vacation Bible school lessons and your, your Bible study lessons and your Sunday school lessons, you'll remember that the Passover happened in Exodus 12, and this was the last straw. This was the last act that God would do that would force Pharaoh's hands and give the Hebrews, or what we know now as the Israelites, would give them the cause to leave. Because that night, they told him, God told Moses to tell the folks, is that you take a sacrificial lamb, and you sacrifice the lamb, and you take its blood, and you put over the door jamb of your house. And the death angel is going to pass by everyone. But the one who has the blood on the door jamb of their house, the death angel will pass over. And there were so many people that were Egyptians and even unbelieving Hebrews that didn't take Moses at his word, and they lost their firstborn. At that point, it was over. They had to go. Pharaoh was mad at them, at their God, and they could either stay and die or leave and die trying. So this Passover was a monumental event for the Israelites. And so year after year after year, they would still, and still to this day, some still do, they, they travel to Jerusalem. 
on the, the day of the Passover. And they celebrate that Passover, what God did for them. But yet, over the years, it has started to wane. The excitement for that is not what it used to be. And as we see in the passage here, even before Jesus went full-blown into his ministry, he saw that that way of worship was broken. It was no longer important to them. Without true remembrance, devotion fades. Without true remembrance, devotion fades. It's hard to believe that this year will mark, what, 16 years since 9-11? I can remember the first five years Man, it would be every year. There would be prayer services. There would be specials. There would be, um, you know, all kinds of news stories. And, and now it's just a footnote in history. Churches are not having prayer meetings for those that lost at 9-11 anymore. The people that lost remember, but there's a generation of people that, for them, 9-11 was about like, for me, what JFK being shot was. I wasn't there. I appreciate it, but it doesn't mean as much to me as those who have been through it. It's just another thing, another remembrance. I'm not taking anything away from that, but you have to admit that our devotion and our our resolve and our, our attention to that for many people has moved on to the next thing. Because without true remembrance, devotion fades If you want to remember why we're in the mess today and why we're at war with other nations that are terrorists, remember 9-11. Remember those days. And if you want to remember why you're at church today, I hope it's not because it's what you've always done, but you remember it's because what Jesus Christ has done for you. So at this time, the priest thought of ways to make the worship of God a little more profitable at the convenience of others. You see, the convenience transformed their worship from sacrifice into a business. Now, I know some people think that, that, that preachers and, and churches, they all preach so we can get money in the offering plate. That is the, the, the furthest thing from the truth. We preach Jesus and Jesus will bring the money in their offering plate through the lives of people that are obedient to his prompting. But for the Jews of those days, for the Jewish leaders of those days, the temple was a money market for them. And they had used convenience to make money and to take advantage of other people. So for Jesus, even though he had been there probably many times with his family, with with Joseph and Mary, this was his time. This was his moment. He was going to be with his other brothers and sisters honoring the Passover, honoring his father, and honoring God. Because worship was a priority even to Jesus himself. So I don't know about you, but if it's a priority to Jesus, it ought to be a priority to us. And then we read on. Jesus is passionate for keeping our worship holy. Jesus is passionate for keeping our worship holy. Starting with verse 14. He says, in the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves. And he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, I love this, he drove, he drove 
everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers, coins, and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal, or in some translations say passion, zeal for your house will consume me. There was a lot of people going to the temple, but there was no sacrifice. They had the bodies, they had the nickels, they had the noses, they had the money, they had everything that they needed to say, hey, we're having a good old Passover time. Because this was the tourist trap. This would be like, you know, during the summer down at spring break at Myrtle Beach where, where every store says they're going out of business, but everything is five times more expensive than it should be, and everybody's buying them. This was the time for them to make money. And so they, were, they had everything set up. There was temple, there was priest, and there were parishioners, but there was nobody worshiping. Jews from all over the world would bring money from their nations, from their area. And the money changers would say, of the temple would say, I'm going to give you some temple money for this. Now, it's been a long time ago, but I remember something called an arcade. I know you all remember arcades. Most of you do. And I, I know that my parents probably remember it for all of the dollars that they funneled through me. But I remember you could always get one game of something for a quarter. Am I right? Wasn't that great? A game of pinball for a quarter. you all remember that? And then, all of a sudden, they came out with this new thing called Tokens. They don't want your money anymore. They want you to take the money to the token machine. Then you get the tokens to play the games. And all of a sudden, games started taking two tokens. We didn't know all that meant two quarters, but it was two tokens. And then, after a while, when you started to slide your dollar in, they'd give you three tokens for a dollar. So they were charging you more money for less games, and they were giving you less than what your dollar was worth. They were taking advantage of us. They were making money. That's what the temple priests were doing at this moment. They were making money out of pillaging and taking advantage of those that had come there to worship. And the temple worship revealed the critical nature of their spiritual condition. People of Jesus' day had a what-can-I-get-out-of-worship mentality. Any of y'all like to go to the, I don't know if they still, they don't have one around here, but I know, in, is it the Greenville, they have the S&S Cafeteria. Maybe you remember something like a Piccadilly Cafeteria, or sometimes you go down to Redwood or wherever you might go, say, oh, preacher, don't talk about food. I'm, I'm starting to rumble. Trust me, just for a second. But we go through there and say, oh, man, that, that uh, potato casserole looks good. Oh, I'll take that chicken. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. And people are just getting what they want. And that's what we're doing for churches today. Oh, I want this for my children. I want this for my youth. I want this for... And I understand we have to meet the needs of people and provide services. But at the same time, it's not about what we get out of worship, but it's about what we give to God. In some churches, there are people that, that they don't have anything for children, but yet they have children. If they would just plug into it, they would have it. But nobody has that mentality. It is all, what can I get? And they were looking for convenient worship here. And they were dying spiritually, and they didn't even see it. Their motives of worship were polluted by their desire for convenience. They were going to the, the motions with little sacrifice or intent. For these 
Jewish pilgrims, the devotion that once burned white hot, with the thankfulness of how God had provided for them and protected them in the past, was now just an empty religious duty that allowed the priests to profit. Folks, let me tell you this. Holiness is never exchanged for convenience in God's eyes. Holiness is never exchanged for convenience in God's eyes. And when Jesus saw this, he was filled with righteous anger. It made him so mad. Because the the preferred sacrifices to be offered in the temple were the lambs. But yet, as you read in this passage, they had all kinds of animals in there. And so, I mean, look at it this way. When they made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they were supposed to make a sacrifice to atone for their sins and the sins of their family. So the sacrifice that they were supposed to take, they were supposed to look at all that they had and find the best lamb, the one that was pretty much like the house pet, and bring that to sacrifice it. Because it would have been a sacrifice. It would have meant something to them. But what the priests were doing, they were taking the... uh, the coals or, or the, the animals that had little blemishes. Bring them to the temple. Oh, don't worry about carrying that animal all that way. Just come with your money and, and we'll make it convenient for you. We'll just give you lambs are us. Or whatever it might be. And so they would buy it. Yep, there's your sacrifice. Love you, God. I'm going back home. Where is, where is the sacrifice in that? And then if you notice in this passage, he drives everybody else everybody out, but with those that were the dove sellers, he said, get these things out of here and stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. What made the dove sellers so important to Jesus to correct? Here's why. Because if you go back and you look at Leviticus chapter 5, verse 7, the Levitical law said, if you are too poor or you cannot afford to give a lamb, two doves will work. So they were selling doves for the people that didn't have the money for the big sacrifices and just wanted to pay what they could to get the doves. Folks, they were taking advantage of the poor and that drove Jesus nuts. And so he got mad. Jesus is no respecter of our convenience. God's Holy Spirit will not stay where he is not wanted, where he's not appreciated, or he's not a priority. Again, God's Holy Spirit will not stay where he is not wanted, appreciated, or he's not a priority. Jesus was upset. He was angry. Matthew 6.21 says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Jesus was consumed with glorifying his Father and going about his business. And so when Jesus says that I have zeal for my Father's house, he didn't just pull that out of the air. Some of your Bibles might show you this, but he was actually quoting a psalm He was quoting Psalm 69, verse 9. It says, Passion or zeal for your house has consumed me. Jesus was consumed about being in the Lord's house. That doesn't just mean we need to know how to act 
when we come into worship. But when we come into the sanctuary, when we come into Bible study, when we come into God's presence with other people, we are expectant for God to do something. Not just going through the motions so that we can say that we've been to shut somebody up and to move on. If we do that, we are just as empty and just as vile as these money changers that were in the temple. But being consumed with anything, being consumed with anything but the pursuit of holiness will leave you living a disobedient and empty life. Jesus knew this. And for this reason, he calls you and I to evaluate our worship, to cleanse our worship. You want me to tell you who the most miserable person in the world is? Here you go. The most miserable person in the world is the person who claims to know Christ, but they know in their heart of hearts they are far from him. Now, they will try to make it somebody else's problem. They will blame other churches, other preachers, other church members, other family members, other former friends, they will find excuses for not going to church, but in their heart of hearts, when it's just them and the Lord in the quiet of the room and the TV's turned off and there's nothing but the sound of the ceiling fan and it's just them and God, they realize how miserable they are. Don't be that person. Don't be empty. The third thing we see is that Jesus proved that worship was anything but convenient. It was costly. That True worship was costly. In John eighteen or John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, he says, So the Jews replied to him, What sign of authority will you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. Now, when he said that, I'm sure they were in the middle of this temple, and he was saying, Destroy this temple, and in three days it will be rebuilt. So in their minds... They're thinking, yeah, right, there's not a construction crew anywhere that could do that. Therefore, the Jews said, this sanctuary took 46 years to build, and would you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples, check this out, this is so small, but it's so big. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the statements Jesus had made. I don't know where you are with the world. I know where the world is with Jesus, and many of them are far from him. But you know what this passage says? There will come a day when those that rejected God will remember every testimony and every word that Jesus said, and they will be without excuse. So will you, and so will I. But this worship is costly. The motivation behind Jesus' cleansing the temple, he was angry. Any of y'all ever been angry? Or is it just me? Y'all have never been angry. Lord, we have a perfect church. Just go ahead and call us home. Some of you were angry this morning. Some of you might be angry now. Or you might be angry when you... I don't know. 
Anger is a God-given emotion. I'm really enjoying Wednesday nights. We're talking about managing the emotions that God has given us as we study the book of Psalms. We're doing that on Wednesday night in our adult Bible study. And so uh, it's, it's really cool to see how these things are interacting. But the thing is, is that Jesus was angry, but he wasn't angry as like, I'm going to get you. He was angry. It was a righteous anger. It's kind of like when I hear somebody use that, that phrase that just sends chills up my neck. And the phrase basically means that God doesn't need a dam because he walks on water. You know what I'm saying? That phrase, it just falls all over me when I hear it. The contempt. And some people just let it fly. And look, I don't, I don't hate the people that do that, but it, it just, it's unsettling. Because how can you curse a God that has done so much? How can you do that? How can anyone do that? Well, it's done by someone who really doesn't care. And it makes me angry. Not because that person has affected me, but because they have affronted God. Now, God's big enough to take care of that. But I'm telling you, when if we really had the righteous anger that Jesus had... We wouldn't have some of the TV shows in our house that we have. We wouldn't have some of the websites on our computers that we have. We wouldn't have some of the conversations with people that we have. We wouldn't have these deep, deep, dark little secrets that we have because we would hate them so much because they defile the very God that we serve. Jesus was angry, but it wasn't towards the people. And it wasn't even towards the, the animals that were being used. It was the fact that God's house had been turned into an empty shambles. See, the whole reason we're seeing in these miracles is the reason Jesus is doing these miracles is to say, hey, your worship is broken. It's not working. You've lost your love. You've lost your devotion. There is no sacrifice. So I'm here to give you a better way. And so another reason that he cleansed the temple was not only to do a restart and to get the attention of those that were running it, but also to show you that he loves you. How in the world could Jesus show you that he loves you? I don't know about you, but if you were to go to a doctor and they were to give you medicine that was a placebo, in other words, it was, it was nothing, it was just a sugar pill, And if I were a family member, if I were a pastor and I said, Pastor, we don't want you to tell anybody, but this person is on a drug and it's a placebo. It's not really doing anything for them. Am I going to sit back and say, oh, well, I'm not going to tell them. Shoot, no, I'll be on the phone. Look, you've got to get some real medicine. You're just taking sugar water. Folks, the worship that was happening in the temple at this point was nothing but a placebo. It was not true worship. It didn't save a lick. It didn't resolve any sin. So people were coming and going through the motions and they were wasting their time. And he loved you so much that he said, I'm scrapping this and I'm giving you a better way. That's why he loves you. That's why he is angry. And worship is anything but convenient. It is costly because we see Jesus' anger showed love for his father because he wanted the temple to return to a holy status. And then his anger showed love for you because the worship that was being conducted would not atone for anyone's sin. What right does Jesus have to clear the temple? 
what, what gave Jesus the right? In other words, that's what the Jewish leaders were asking. And they asked him plenty of times, well, what authority do you have to come in here and clean up our temple during this big money-making time during our year? What gives you the right to do that? And, and the thing is, is that we ask in our lives, what gives Jesus the right to come in and tell me what I can and cannot do? What gives Jesus the right to tell me that I'm not worshiping the right way? Well, look, you may be happy like you are, and you don't want to clean up your worship. You may be comfortable just like you are. But let me ask you, are you happy with your worship? Or if there was more out there, if there was more for you, would you want that? In other words, you're in the store and you see what you think you like. But if the guy came back and said, Look, this is great, but we have the upgraded model in the back we hadn't brought out yet. Would you like that one instead for the same price? Oh, you got it. You bet I will. Folks, Jesus always has more for us if we are obedient. What right does Jesus have to interrupt my life and my plans? The Jewish leaders wanted to know this. The Pharisees were blinded by their own pride. And I love this. If you go back and you look at verse 19, remember what he said? All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise up. What was Jesus saying there? He was saying, you can hate me, you can stone me, you can kill me, but in three days later, I'm coming back. And there are still people today that are dedicating their life to disprove this book and to kill Jesus' ministry and to kill Christians and to there are people losing their lives for Christ and overseas and there are people that are being beheaded. There are people that are being that are losing their families even here in America because they're converting to Christianity. And you can you can persecute it and you can kill the people and you kind of you can drive it down and you can tell the churches to, to close their doors. You can tell the Christians to keep their opinions to yourself. But Jesus says, you can try to kill me, but in three days I will return. His worship, worship of him, was very costly. How costly was it? It cost him his life for you and I to worship. So what does Jesus think about your heart and my heart today? For worship that's convenient. Well, your desire for Burger King worship angers Jesus. Burger King worship? Yeah, you know. I had to talk about food this close to time being over. I know. All right, you, some of you are already thinking, man, a Whopper would sound good right now. But let me tell you something. I remember the old commercial. Uh, Pickles, lettuce, won't upset us, have it your way. You know, their big thing was you can order the hamburger like you want. Have it the way you want it, and we'll do it for you. Folks, that doesn't work in worship for Jesus Christ. We worship Him. It's not Him worshiping us. What a contrast we have seen this morning. People with unholy motives against Jesus, the holy, perfect one, that came to save the very people He was chastening. You get that, right? Check this out. This is the aha moment. The people that he was driving out of the temple were the very ones he came to save. He came to save you. He came to give you a worship system that could bring you to God, not keep you from God. 
Who or what is the focus of your worship today? How do you think Jesus would rate your worship? I'm not talking about you sitting back and making a scorecard of what songs you like or what scriptures you like and if I preach too long or preach too short. But what I'm asking is your heart. Where does Jesus think that your heart for worship is today? Where would you put it on a scale from 1 to 10? Look, today you might feel like a 5. Maybe next week you can pray and be a 6. Maybe you feel like a 10. Well, pray that you stay that way and encourage somebody else. Or you might be a one. You say, my worship isn't much. Maybe next week you can be a two. It's all about a process. It's all about moving, getting more stronger, getting devotion, getting closer with Jesus in your relationship. So, in closing, I would say this. Why did Jesus cleanse the temple? Let me give you the answer. Everybody try this when you get home. Or you can get your phone and you can do go into selfie mode. Okay? And I want you to take it and look in your mirror. Or look in your phone. Why did Jesus cleanse the temple? If you look in that mirror. Or if you look in that selfie mode. You'll see why. For you. He cleansed the temple for you. So that you would no longer be subject to a religion that was dead and dying and did nothing. But you could serve a risen Savior that loved you so much that he gave his life so that you could have eternal life. He exposed and replaced a cold and effective system of rules with his death. And his death was to, one, establish a relationship with you. And then number two, If you have a relationship with him, he died to nurture it as well. Convenient worship angers Jesus because he laid down his life to redeem yours. I don't know where you are with the Lord today and and what you came in here to do. That's the thing I love about going through John and just kind of going through it. It's kind of like a a golf ball. You play it where it lays, right? Or lies, whatever you're. I'm not a golfer. Is it lies or lays? Play where it lies. Is that right, Will? Yeah? We'll go with that. You, you, you play it where it lies. When you go through Scripture, some, well, hey, preacher was talking about me this day. Well, that's fine if I am, because it's just the way it came up. you got the look of the draw. But I'll tell you what. God wants your heart. He wants all of your heart. He doesn't want you to have a fake worship system that does nothing. If your life is full of rules and... And things that you feel like will save you, if you don't have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are lost. And that is why he cleansed the temple, so that you could have a relationship with him. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today, let me tell you, he invites you to come to him. You can pray with me. You can pray with someone right there. You can call me later. That's fine. But the thing is... With the Holy Spirit, when you feel the draw to to make a commitment to God, I'm not saying this to scare you. This doesn't go into things that preachers say, but this is the absolute truth. I don't understand how God draws people into himself, only that he does. And it's not me doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. And you're not guaranteed if he's drawing you now that he'll draw you tomorrow. Every person has a set appointed time and day. So if he's drawing you to come to him... For him to be your Savior and Lord, I would invite you to come forward. I will pray with you.
our church will work on discipling you so you can understand what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you're a Christian that has, has kind of slipped away in your emphasis of worship and you've been worried about the wrong things. You can come to the forward, forward to the, the altar here and pray. You can pray with me or pray with a friend. Or maybe you want to join this church. Whatever your decision is, this is a time for you. We'll sing our verses and then we'll go home. But today, in the next minute, it might chart the future of your entire life. Would you stand and let's pray. God, I pray that if there's anyone here that needs to know you or to do business with you or to join us, Lord, that they would come forward. That they might be scared. That What will people think? But I'll tell you what. We don't need to worry about what people think because there is not a person in here that wouldn't rejoice for one sinner that comes home. So, Lord, may our worship be pure. May our devotion be strong. And may you work, Lord, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.